And let us now center ourselves for today's message with a scripture reading by the always wonderful Theris of Suji. This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 8. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think of them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. The word of God for the people of God. And thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Theris. So, uh, <laughs> I, I love Zoom, and this is one of those moments when we have technical difficulties. I don't know if Jason Hecht is with us at this moment because he had to restart his computer. So, Beth, you may not have slides for your sermon. Uh, so, and also, we're going to have to shift in our uh, lineup because we had the special song. So, we may have that song afterwards. Uh, but Beth, are you ready to go? I am. Right. So, oh, and there, there comes Jason. So we're going to get him back in. Um, but Beth, I think we should go ahead with your message while Jason gets reacclimated. And so I do want to say something about Beth that, you know, she's our guest speaker today. She's going to share uh, the second message in our For the Beauty of the Earth series. And to me, and I think that I also speak for all of us, there really aren't enough superlative adjectives of the best kind to describe who Beth Mueller is and what she means to the Harmony Faith community. She blesses us beyond measure in all she does. And so we look forward to hearing what Beth has to say today. So Harmony, let's show her some joy. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Um, I appreciate, appreciate that, Mark. So uh, Melinda was going to be singing a song called Who Am I? But um, hopefully we'll get to hear it later on. I, I want to thank her for that. And I want to thank Theris for um, reading for us the words of the psalmist. And thank you to Harmony, United Methodist Church, and Pastor Mark for allowing me to bring the message today. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be pre pleasing to you, O Lord and a blessing to all. Amen. So we would have heard this beautiful song that asks the question, who am I? I think that that's a question we're all familiar with. We have great interest in understanding ourselves, don't we? I know that I do. And the question goes back into some of the oldest writings of human history. 
And of course, people were wondering way before they were writing. In Psalm 8, the Bible addresses the question, who are we as well? The Psalms are very difficult to date, but for our purposes, it is safe to say that we are reading from a point of view held roughly 3,000 years ago. Suffice it to say, the psalmist worldview was very different from ours. The science of his day and of his culture spoke of a dome in the sky that separated the waters above from the waters below. Last week, we heard one of the two creation stories in Genesis that clued us in to the answers humans were capable of understanding when they asked the question about human, human existence. Questions like, where did all things come from? The Genesis account also addresses the question, how did all the world get here? For the people of Israel, and for most of human history, the answers took the form of stories that people could understand in their context and in their time. The details were not meant to be scientific for 21st century readers, but the overall arc of the story tells of a creator and a creative process that calls all things into being through persuasive love. And it is all declared good. As Theris read in Psalm 8, verse 3, the psalmist takes in, quote, the night sky and sees the work of God's fingers, the moon and the stars God has set in place, unquote. He asks another question, who are human beings that God would be mindful of us? This writer stands before the beauty and grandeur of nature and is humbled I trust we can all relate to being in awe of the natural world, his experience as a human being, and his place on the timeline of human history finds him closely tied to the earth. Keenly aware of the life-giving connections to the herds, the flocks, and the seas that provide life around him, he begins to answer his own question. Who is humankind that you, God, would care for us? Without any knowledge of evolution as we understand it today, this lover of God acknowledges the special differences between all the creatures of his known world and human beings. His faith tells him that he is called to serve the earth, to be a good steward of the life that teems upon it. The science of his day was nothing like the science of ours, as we know, yet his powers of observation tell him that mortals have the capacity to care, to care for the creatures of the sky, ground, and sea. He observes without microscope or telescope that humankind has a unique role to play. He believes that his role involves using mankind's differences from other species for the good of all. In verse six, we learn that his faith, his tradition, and his experience tell him that God has put humanity, quote, in charge of everything God made, and that God has given authority over all things, unquote. He reaches back into the past, remembering the creation story of his faith community. He stands in the present moment, observing and marveling at the beauty of nature. 
Then he leans into the future, acknowledging the call to serve the earth. He answers his own question with everything available to him in his day. As Pastor Mark said last week, humanity is given an assignment. Be responsible for the earth. Our ancient ancestors were being invited, called to commit themselves to the well-being of the whole. Well, some three millennia later, we read this psalm from a very different perspective. And before I proceed, let me put a couple of cards on the table. Uh, who am I? If you know me, you already know I'm a person of faith. I have a belief system that cannot be proven by science. This belief system helps guide my decisions and actions as I journey through the experience of being human in community. I believe I have a spiritual dimension. My faith does not restrict me from pursuing existential questions about or using science. In fact, in the United Methodist tradition, reason is considered one of four key ways we develop spiritually and grow in our knowledge and love of God, neighbor, and self. I am a person who respects the rigorous explorations of science. Where else do people work so hard to prove themselves wrong in order to find the truth? In so many ways, I trust science. I trust that the light will go on when I turn the switch in a dark room. I trust that the plane will stay in the air until it's time to safely land. I trust that my body will make the best use of the foods I feed it and I will live another day. Unlike the people of the psalmist's day, we are science-soaked. Along with millions of postmodern Christians, people of all faiths, agnostics, and atheists, I'm going to proceed on the premise that the Big Bang is a scientific explanation of the beginning, that the Earth is roughly 4.543 billion years old, that evolution is real, and that we, Homo sapiens, have been on the scene for about 200,000 years. For me, religion and science live in mutual accord. One is not out to disprove the other. Both, both contribute wisdom as I grow as a person who cares. I appreciate what Matthew Kelly says in his book, The Biggest Lie in the History of Christianity. I want to ask if, uh, can you see these slides? Can someone say that out loud to me? Thank you. He writes, for it is my deeply held belief that science will do its best work when faith and reason are reunited in a vigorous pursuit of truth. That is worth repeating. Science will do its best work when faith and reason are reunited in a vigorous pursuit of truth. I understand the psalmist's awe and hum humility as he stands before the immensity of creation. I feel the same respect for the creator and the creative processes that put it all in motion. But I don't think it serves us well to believe we are too small to make a difference. On the other hand, it's also very dangerous, as we know, to raise humankind to a position of power over other living things. Renowned primatologist Jane Goodall names our place. She spent decades studying chimpanzees. She recently said, 
Thanks to chimps being so much like us biologically, they helped me break down that ridiculous barrier that never existed in the first place. We are part of the natural world. Not small, not big, but connected. This connectedness to each other and to everything that is makes it essential for us to live into our assignment to be responsible for the earth. Who are we? We are a species that apparently is much more conscious than other species, at least in the way we understand consciousness or awareness. We have evolved to a place where we are conscious of the fact, and I'm going to consider it a fact, that we exist. We are conscious that others exist. And we have both an intellectual and a spiritual sense that there is much more to this world than we can scientifically know. Many of us are conscious of having what we consider a relationship with the creator and the processes that are continually creating the universe. We have what our own Reverend Jefferson Beaker calls a conversation of the heart with God. As human beings, we have the capacity to control our decisions, our behaviors, and our effect on the world. We have the knowledge of good and evil, and we are free to choose. And yes, in so many ways, we have chosen poorly. Last week, Pastor Mark reminded us that in God's blueprint, we are to be cultivators of the garden, not dominators. There is no doubt that we have misused the power of science and technology, causing some irreversible damage to the ecosystem upon which we all rely. And there is no doubt that we have done horrific damage using religion and power against so many human beings. But people of faith have also done tremendous good and there is plenty of caring left to do. Eco-theologian Michael Dowd writes, religion at its best teaches us to care the purpose of religion includes drawing us together around the concept of sacred realism, to see within all that is before us in nature, the good. There is hope in the assurance that we do care. There is hope in the knowledge that we can change. Human beings can adapt quickly. We can be flexible, reasonable, and when we learn something vital, we can change for the better. We have many of the technological tools we need to make significant changes for the benefit of future generations. And we have the potential to develop even more solutions. But we need more than technology. We need the important practices we learn from the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Practices for loving God, neighbor, and self. Practices like forgiveness that free us and others to live into a better future. Forgiveness removes a weight, motivating us to carry the burden of another. Practices like mercy and compassion, they open our eyes to the plight of the poor and the suffering, including the suffering of our one and only Mother Earth. Mercy and compassion motivate us to lift the poor until all have their basic needs met until all can participate fully in the work and wonder 
of our responsibility to the earth. We need practices of grace that spread blessing upon those who have done nothing to earn it. Grace received motivates us to do the same for another. And of course, these are all practices of love that put the needs of others before our, our own self-interest. Love that curbs our own desire to consume more in order that the next generation will have enough. We need the combination of technologies from our heads and practices from our hearts to care properly for the earth. I recently read the work of someone who possesses both a brilliant mind and tremendous faith. He has written a thoughtful, helpful, practical, and global approach to developing societies that are sustainable. He is none other than Pope Francis. In 2015, the Pope issued an encyclical. It's a letter that circulates among all the bishops of the world and filters into the teachings of over a billion Catholics. The letter addresses climate change. It is called Laudato Si Mi Signore, Praise Be to You, My Lord. Pope Francis takes his name from St. Francis of Assisi. You know, he's the one you see standing in the, as a statue in the garden or in someone's yard. He led an extremely faithful life, which led the Catholic Church to name him the patron saint of ecologists. Pope Francis says that St. Francis is the par excellence of care for the vulnerable and of an integral ecology living out joyfully and authentically. St. Francis of Assisi was particularly concerned for God's creation and for the poor and outcast. He shows us how inseparable the bond between concern for nature, justice for the poor, commitment to society, and interior peace is. In Laudato Si, Pope Francis takes a very realistic look at our situation. In his vision of an integral ecology, a society where concern for nature is essential to the healthy function of the whole, he incorporates science, sociology, politics, economics, education, medicine, ecology, the military, and much more, including all faith traditions in his approach. He says, obstructionist attitudes, even on the part of believers, can range from denial of the problem to indifference nonchalant resignation, or blind confidence in technical solutions. We require a new and universal solidarity. As the bishops of Southern Africa have stated, everyone's talents and involvements are needed to redress the damage caused by human abuse of God's creation. All of us can cooperate as instruments of God and for the care of creation, each according to his or her or their own culture, experience, involvements, and talents. Pope Francis, as well as many others, is offering a big picture global idea that has the potential to change the world for the better. And this is another reason for hope. I'm really grateful that some have committed their whole lives to 
to improving the lives of all living things. Not all of us have that kind of talent or wisdom or audience. I'm a former Catholic, but I currently follow Pope Francis on Instagram. His reach goes far beyond Catholicism. We can't all be the Pope. There are not enough of those fantastic tall hats to go around, but we can all do something. Instead of thinking we are too small, what if we each find one thing, one area of care for the earth that we feel passionate about? Maybe you already have one or more. Is it the air, the soil, the water? Does it fly or gallop or swim? Is it a technology like carbon capture or wind energy or the geothermal sciences? You may already know what piques your interest when it comes to building a sustainable society. If not, please spend some time finding at least that one thing. When children and adults ask Jane Goodall what they can do to help restore the earth, she tells them to move from me thinking to we thinking. Once you've identified the area of care for the earth that is calling to you, the next step is to connect to others who share your interest. Become a we. All of us know how easy it is to discover like-minded people using the internet. In fact, you could change your browser to ecosia, ecosia.com and help plant trees while you're looking. There is a great power in the combined energy and passion of a group bent on doing good. Find a group and stay focused on the one thing that calls to you. Maybe you have time and energy to focus on several things. Please do. New possibilities will make themselves known as you connect and move from me to we. With the combination of faith and science, we have everything we need to change ourselves and to change this world for the better. There is still time to live in such a way as to provide a healthier future for many generations to come. Philosopher and environmentalist Edward Goldsmith said, the fundamental role of religion is to ensure that culture or society remains accountable to the future by fiercely preserving the integrity of the ecosphere and critical order of the cosmos. This accountability, this responsibility for our power has always been ours. And the psalmist knew it too. Who are we that God would care for us? We are those who have been entrusted with the protection of the earth and all of its interwoven systems. Who are mortals, mortals that God should regard us? We are those who have been given minds that strive to problem solve and hearts that motivate us to do so for good. We are free to choose between good and evil. Let us continually choose what is good. Amen. 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 Thank you, Beth, for a wonderful message. And, you know, it's funny, Beth, you talk about uh, St. Francis of Assisi, and I have a statue of St. Francis in my home. Uh, and 
And I love the aspect of what you talked about. There is an accountability, uh, an accountability of from moving from me to we. And so you've tied in a great message about taking the power of observation, which is sort of heady, and to go into our hearts, to go into practice. So putting word and deed into practice. So thank you for that message for us to make a better world. And we do that also with Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. So Jason, I don't know if you can, uh, are you able to uh, get in the, the song? Awesome. Here we go. Who am I? Jason, we don't have any sound to the song. Just giving you a heads up. <laughs> Let's try that again, shall we? Okay. with me fading 
beautiful ending to our worship for today for i and that's we are yours to our creator uh, as we conclude our worship service on this day uh, we want to thank you for being a part of this experience in which we give thanks to the lord and we also want to again thanks all of the participants as well as beth Mueller, beth Mueller, for a wonderful joy-filled sermon what a blessing uh, a reminder to join us next week, next week, in person for our special worship at the beach at 9.30 a.m., followed by a seashore cleanup. So check out our Facebook page and e-news for more information. And we're now going to segue to our question of the day. For those on Zoom, please stick around for our breakout room discussions. And to everyone, the peace of Christ be with you and yours this day and always. Amen.